0: If you are new here, we are glad that you are here. Wherever you are in your uh, journey of life, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, we're happy to have you here. This is a great place to get your questions asked and hopefully answered about what it means to follow Jesus. Every year in January, we take a couple of weeks and do a short series reminding ourselves who we are and why we are here. And we're going to take the next three weeks to do that, to think about this question of our purpose and identity here. And so this morning, we are going to look at a small passage about Jesus and how his kingdom expresses itself and what it means for us. And so if you've got a bulletin, uh, you can turn to the back panel and the relevant scripture is there. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to the 18th chapter of the book of Luke and we will pick up our reading of Jesus with a blind beggar Starting in verse 35, and to help us with the reading of God's words, Kathy. From Luke 18, verses 35 to 43. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. So our purpose and our mission as a church is to confess our faith in Christ and to express our faith and love in Christ and to express the love of Christ to the city he has called us to. And there are a variety of ways to do that, but one way that we think is responsible is to ask ourselves this question, what would it look like for us to be Jesus to the city? What would it be like for us to so imitate the life of Jesus in his love for this city that the church would be seen as the love of Jesus and they would see Jesus in us, his church? And so we're going to ask that question. What would it be like to be the incarnation of Jesus and the love of Jesus to the city? And we're going to begin to answer that question by looking at some snapshots of the life of Jesus himself. In the next couple of weeks, we will take a look at a couple of snapshots of how Jesus acted and what he did to help us see how he expressed his love and light to the world around him. And then after that, after a couple of weeks, we're going to go into our spring series on the Sermon on the Mount where he teaches us to follow him. In that. So, in this passage, Jesus has just finished telling his disciples that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the authorities, flogged, and then crucified, and then on the third day rise again. He's just finished telling them that. He's now on his way to Jerusalem. Jericho is the last major town before Jerusalem and his last days on earth. Now he's already done a bunch of miracles. These miracles have helped to get him where he is at the moment we see him here in the center of a large crowd of followers. And we pick up the moment here with Luke telling us about Jesus and the crowd and a healing. But Luke isn't telling us this to tell us that Jesus heals. He's already told us that A number of times. What Luke Luke wants us to focus here in this, the last miracle of Jesus Luke records before Jesus dies is this. Luke wants us to look at the response people are having to Jesus. It's, It's important that Jesus heals and we'll talk a bit about that. But what Luke wants us to zero in on is the response of people to Jesus. In this scene, two kinds of people are particularly in Luke's focus. Firstly, the marginalized, represented here by the blind man, whom the parallel account in Mark tells us is Bartimaeus. And the second group are the disciples of Jesus. It's how they respond to Jesus and to the blind man, that Luke wants us to reflect upon, to tell us who we are and who we're called to be. And how Jesus responds to both of them is a prophetic challenge to us because the central point of this text is this. As followers of Jesus, we are called to love as widely as Jesus loves and to care as deeply as Jesus cares. And we often don't. To love as widely as Jesus loves and to care as deeply as he cares. Let's look at those two points, the width of Jesus' love. Look at the first couple of verses you've got. Verse 35, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Stop there for a moment. Let's situate ourselves in this historical moment. Jesus is nearing Jericho. He gets to the outskirts. A blind man is sitting by the roadside begging. A great throng of people is with Jesus. Now, we, we, we have trouble seeing it, but an ancient Near East person reading this would know exactly what's happening. There's a group of people before Jesus, and then there's Jesus in the middle with his key leaders, and then there's a group of people after Jesus. This is a typical procession of nobility, of people of importance, even of royalty. That's the way the procession looks. And here, the vanguard, the first part of Jesus' followers are in the front part, and they Encounter the blind man. He says, What's going on? They say, Jesus is passing by. He's about to come right by you. So feel the moment. Jesus is at the height of his popularity and influence. People who would otherwise be very cynical about yet another person claiming to be the Messiah, there had been dozens, are now convinced because they've seen him do miracles with their own eyes. The Apostle Paul, who was an eyewitness of Three years of Jesus' ministry, put it this way, at the end of his gospel. There are also many other things that Jesus did, John 21, 25. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So this is a moment of swelling anticipation for his followers. Many of them think that when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem... He's going to take Jerusalem by force. He's going to take the throne of David. He's going to seize political power, free Israel from Roman rule. Despite his constant teaching that he's going there to die, they think he's going there to take power. And we know that they don't get it about Jesus, that he's there to suffer and die and on a completely different mission because we know they don't get it because of the way they respond to the blind man. Here's a blind man on the side of the road. Blind men in those days were considered morally rejected by God. Either they or some of their ancestors had sinned grievously, and this was God's judgment. As a result of that, they were repellent spiritually. They were socially to be shunned. Culturally, there was no room for them in the conversations of power. Economically, there was no place for them to work. They had one thing they could do. They could sit at the side of the road, put out their blanket, and hope people drop coins there to give them enough money for the day. No hope of anything more. Your life is one vulnerable day of rejection, contempt, fear, and marginalization after another. Rinse and repeat. But this blind man has heard about Jesus. He knows that Jesus healed and can heal. So he starts calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you hear that? Son of David. That is the title of Royalty. David was the beloved king in Israel's history. His descendants were considered the royal family. This blind man captures this royal moment perfectly. He has faith that Jesus can heal him. Now he asks for Jesus to heal him. And what do Jesus's followers do? They go, "Here, go see Jesus." No, they say, "Ha. Huh, you're not worthy. You're not worth his time." Hush. What are they saying? This is a king on the way to the take the throne. He has no time for such as you. He has more important things to do. We need our freedom back from the Romans. We need our political power back. We need our rights back. We need our power restored. Men and women, how many times has the church said this, felt like this, acted like this? We need our rights back. We need our power back. These can be good things, by the way. But Luke is pointing out, there are times when our preoccupation with those things, with our power... And our influence actually causes us to lose sight of the true nature of Jesus' kingdom and the true width of his love and the true spiritual power that comes when we realize that Jesus' kingdom is kingdom where love spreads to the margins. It's not a kingdom at all if it's not a kingdom for all, for the people like this blind man, for rejected people like lepers, addicts, immoral, irreligious people. It is no kingdom with no spiritual power if it is not that kind of a kingdom and he's not that kind of a king. And when we forget that, we, like they were, become actually a barrier between people who are looking for Jesus and Jesus himself. The people in the margins the people in the shadows of society and culture, these people get blocked from coming to Jesus by us because we want cultural power and we want influence and we want respectability and we'll exchange it for real spiritual power. What does Jesus do? He stops the whole procession. He tells his little delegates, go, bring him to me. As one who has authority, the man comes from the side of the road. See the narrative flow from the side of the road to the center of the procession, face to face with the king, from the rejected and the neglected margins to the focus of the king's attention and the center of his mission. And this story forces us to ask, who's actually blind? The blind man calls Jesus a king, asks boldly for his love and mercy. The crowd going before Jesus, announcing his presence, does not understand Jesus, and they say, Hush, Jesus has no time for you. Who's actually blind and who can actually see? The first step in following Jesus into expressing his love for the city is to understand how wide it is. It goes to the margins, it goes everywhere. It seeks out the most broken, the most forgotten, the most shut in, the most handicapped, those people that the culture thinks and that the church thinks might be beyond the care and the love of God. Conservative Christians, if you're here, the love of Jesus extends to the most progressive, the most religion-despising cultural elite that might attract your resentment and frustration. Progressive people here. The love of Jesus extends to Rob Ford and everyone who voted for him. Wealthy and successful people, the love of Jesus extends to the poorest of the poor, those who are terrible with their money, the deepest of the addicts, the most broken of the people. Those of us who are successful, the love of Jesus extends to those who've wasted their potential and squandered their gifts. Woke people, the love of Jesus extends to the wealthy, environmentally ignorant 1% who keep corrupting our landscape. Do you believe it? I was in Jacksonville several years ago. It's in Florida, it's in the deepest part of the South, very conservative, one of the most conservative cities in all of North America. I was at a gas station filling up the car. I think I was coming from a meeting with a congregate and I was heading back to the office. I was a new pastor in this town. I didn't even know some of my congregants. I didn't know who was around. And I heard a woman asking for bus fare to get home. She, I I saw her from behind, I only saw her back. She seemed a bit young, but she looked awfully thin. And people kept looking at her then walking away. And I was curious, why won't they help her? And then I got near and she turned sort of sideways and I could see the smear of her makeup, and I realized this is probably a street sex worker. Should I go over and help her? I'm new in town. It's a very conservative town. They're shunning her. I don't know what my congregants would think of me married, bringing a sex worker into my car. Like, what would people think if they saw it? But I went up to her and I said, do you need a ride? She said, I do. I don't have any money. She got in the car. We started driving. She said they hired me for one night. It's Monday. They didn't let me out all weekend. And then I realized she didn't even have enough money from a whole weekend to buy herself a bus ride home. Either they took it all, never paid her. I don't know, maybe her pimp took it all. And I started to cry. I didn't know what to do. I said, ma'am, I'm I'm a happily married pastor and I don't know anything. I, all I know is that God loves you and I, I should help you and I don't even know how to do that." And she said, and she started to cry. She says, "'Pastor, you're like an angel from God. I stopped believing in him a long time ago, but now with you here, maybe he is here.'" I was no hero. But Jesus' love for people at the margins was a little bit greater than my fear, a little bit stronger than my love of comfort and protection of my reputation, a little bit better than my desire to use my time productively. And so for one moment, I got out of the way, and I let someone think and meet Jesus. Jesus. I don't know what happened to her. I know what happened to me. I realized how easy it is for me to create barriers that stop me from expressing the width of Jesus' love. How about you? The width of his love we need to come to grips with. Secondly, the depth of his care. Pick up the story. The blind man is now face to face with Jesus. And Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Jesus does not just bring the man into the center of the crowd, he does something astonishing. He asked the man, what do you want me to do for you? Now, this is a loaded question. A superficial look at this dialogue indicates Jesus is being, you know, nice to the man. What can I do for you, you know? Uh, it's a very Canadian and British sort of way, you know. Hey, can I help you? <laughs> but scholars have noted Jesus wasn't Canadian or British. <laughs> he was Jewish, and that's not what he was doing. What was he doing? He was telling the crowd. But the son of David, the king on his way to establish his kingdom, God himself sees that man and says, how can I serve you? Before the man regains his sight, he has been healed emotionally and socially in a very real way. He's just told everyone, I will serve you. I give you dignity. You're not no one to me. The one whom everyone else neglected, I wanna honor you. What can I do for you? You are not worth only my time. You are also worth my service. Why? Because I don't wanna just heal you physically. I wanna heal you socially. I want to have others restore their view of you. I want to hear you spiritually. I don't want people to think you're spiritually accursed. I want to see you coming in front of God and being completely loved. And so Jesus, before he heals him physically, begins to heal him in every other dimension. And then Jesus responds to his request and says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well and immediately. The very words Jesus speaks recreates this man whole with his eyes well. Jesus' power over the natural world is complete and infinite. His ability to heal, immediate. Now, a, a quick word about miracles, because I know many of us grew up in a culture that doesn't really believe in miracles. But it is actually completely logical for the creator of the universe who created it by words to be able to intervene into it by words and to reorder the natural laws for a moment. If God made nature, then nature does his bidding. If you're open to the possibility God exists, you must logically then be open to the possibility that miracles can exist. I I know you may say, I don't believe miracles uh, because they never happen. (laughs) Right, that's the point. They don't. They're extraordinary events, very rare, if at all. You see, when would you expect miracles to happen? When something ordinary is happening or when something extraordinary is happening? Right. When something extraordinary is happening. And the gospel is saying that God Himself has come into human form. God is visiting earth. That's pretty extraordinary. That would be the logical time for miracles to take place. And indeed they did. This happened. And Jesus didn't need, as you know, magicians do or wizards, to make incantations. He didn't need words with a formula that created power. The power was in him. He's God. He just healed him with a word. Now look again at this moment. What happens then? It says... Immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him, Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. What happens? The man gives praise to God because he's healed. He joins the people following Jesus, glorifying God. You see the narrative movement? He's gone from the side of the road to the center of the procession, and now he's part of the crowd following Jesus. He has been embedded into the community of faith. He's completely now restored spiritually. He's restored physically. He's restored socially. They've accepted him in. He's experiencing what the Jewish people call shalom. Shalom is a word we translate as peace, but it means a fair bit more. The, the Jewish word kind of means peace in every dimension or, or flourishing uh, in fullness in every dimension, physically, socially, spiritually, culturally. He's experiencing shalom, total restoration. That's the depth of Jesus's care. He wants total restoration. Let's look at some implications. Firstly, if we're gonna follow Jesus, we must be willing to go as wide as Jesus goes in the sweep of our love. It must encompass all people, even the most destitute, the most undesirable. He went to the home of the wealthy and hated 1%, the tax collector who robbed and exploited other Jewish citizens. He went down to the most despised and rejected and lowest in the socioeconomic status of the Jewish world, the lepers. And he went everywhere in between. He had compassion on hypocritical religious leaders like Nicodemus, irreligious and immoral people like the women of Samaria, It was wide, as Jesus' love could be. Let's do some personal inventory. How wide is ours? Does it go to the margins? Do we make time in our schedules to go to the margins? I know I fight this all the time. I'm bad at this, but we're called to. Start your year planning to spend time in the margins. A few years ago, our staff team uh, under the leadership of Shen did this. We now spend time every month at an assisted living home for the aged. It would not have happened if we had not planned it. And we don't all get there every month, but it is so rewarding to do it. But it happened because it was planned. Secondly, firstly, plan. Secondly, don't pass by. Don't just pass by the same people you see on the side of the road calling for help. We say to ourselves, they're beyond help. Are they? Do we know? Do we stop? Do we ask them who they are? Do we see if we can help heal them? They are hard to heal. It is complex. But what they do not need is just to be hushed. To be hushed by us ignoring them or to be hushed by us dropping a toonie in and keep going to hush our own consciences and to hush their own requests. We can't do this all the time. I'm not saying every single time, but every time I go by one now, I pray for them. Many times I stop, I ask their name, I treat them as a fellow human being because someone taught me to do that. I ask their story. I'm not great at doing it, but at least I've started. I once met a man named Daniel I liked his name. (laughs) He was at the margins living on the streets of Regent Park. He came and he asked to shovel our driveway for some money. There wasn't really enough snow to warrant it, but we gave him 20 bucks for shoveling, and then he kept coming back to do it. And then finally I said, come in, tell me your story, and I got to know him. And then I asked him once about his teeth, and I found out he's losing his teeth because he's really good at panhandling. But all the other people on the streets know it. So they wait for him to successfully panhandle, and then they grab him at the end of the day, and they beat the money out of him. And so I tried to arrange dental work for him, and then he disappeared. And then he came back, I said, where have you Where have you been? He said, well, a little morphine, a little crack is where I've been. He says, I'm sorry, and he started to cry. I said, I, I, I just want to help you. How can I help you? Can we be your bank so that when you panhandle, you can drop some off on your way? So you have something left over. He says, that would be great. Can I have an advance from my bank? (laughs) So we gave him an advance. We didn't see him again for, I don't know, a year, a year or two. And he came back again. He was really embarrassed. And I said, come on in. I said, you don't have to pay us back. How can we help you? And he started to cry. He says, just being here. This is the safe place for me. I feel safe. I feel love, I feel God when I come into your office, church office. It's not perfect. We've lost touch with him, but it's the beginning. Let's make 2020 a year where we show the depth of Jesus' care. If you don't know where to start, look up the Grace Center for Mercy and Justice. It's one of our ministries. They're really good at brokering, helping you find a place to learn how to help go to the margins. We have some of our own ministries. We have partnerships with others. It's just an easy way to do it. If you're in a small group and you're a small group leader, think about having your small groups go to the margins this year as part of your journey together. Learn to take small steps toward the margins together. If you have great ideas about how we can use our community or our space to bring it to the margins, come talk to us. We'd love to know. We're just learning ourselves. But now I want to just stop for a moment and say... If you're like me, I know what will stop you. We say it's busyness. But I think what it really is, is fear. Fear of them. Fear of being outside our comfort zone. Fear of being hurt. Fear of not knowing what to do or say when it gets complicated. I feel all those every single time. I don't live in the margins. I don't know how to live in the margins. I don't know how to help people. Get out of the margins. And you know what? That lack of adequacy is really good. We should never go into the margins thinking we have the answers because we don't. By the way, neither does the government. We're billions of dollars and decades into trying to solve some of these chronic problems. We really haven't made much progress. But we who call ourselves Christians can go to the margins with this. One, knowing that Jesus went to the margins for us. Into the darkest part of the corruption of the world came the light of the world, Jesus. Into the heart of darkness and evil he went. The gospel is this, that he is the light of the world, but he came into the darkness and evil of sin and exposed that sin to us. And then he took that darkness upon himself. And he went and he died as our substitute and paid the debt of that darkness so that the alienation from God, the curse from God could be removed. That darkness was and is in us. We call it sin in the Christian world. It's moral self-absorption and corruption. It makes us blind to His love and light. It makes us alienated from God. Jesus came to us. We're on the side of the road and we are not with God by nature and Jesus comes to us and he says, come, I'll take your sin. I'll take your blindness. I'll let you see me. He made him, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. Second Corinthians 5. And then Jesus rose from the dead. And then he sent his spirit to open our eyes and give us the spiritual sight to see him. The first thing that we can do is see that we In truth, we're the blind men on the side of the road. That's really what this story is about. It's about the spiritual blindness of people to Jesus and to his mission. If you're here and you're still curious about the Christian faith, it may be possible that part of your skepticism is this, that there's a part of you that is partly blinded to the love and beauty of Jesus. Jesus came to take your sin and guilt. Do you realize that you're guilty and you need that? If you don't realize it, do you, that you owe God a debt from your own selfishness, if you don't realize that your sin has alienated you from God, then I submit to you that part of your skepticism is that you're missing a central fact of your own condition. You're still not seeing yourself completely accurately as God sees you. You're still blind to your need for forgiveness and spiritual sight and new life. Christians, you may know that Christ has forgiven you and changed you, but do you see yourself as one who was once there in the margins, on the side of the road, spiritually blind, and Christ came and gave you sight? Let us see ourselves as those who are on the side of the road and Jesus went into the margins for our sin. Secondly, let us know that the Spirit of God is in us. The spirit of Jesus. When we come in humility, we can have God's compassion. And I will, Jesus says, I will put my spirit in you. The spirit of Jesus, whose love goes to the margins, will come to you. And whose love is so deep that he wants to transform people will come into you. And his spirit will make you your love and compassion a little stronger than your fear, a little stronger than your sense of inadequacy, a little stronger than your love of comfort, a little stronger than your love of reputation and you will begin to go and express the love of Jesus to the city that is his. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you and I pray that we would learn to do this By the spirit that you've given us, we would learn to see ourselves as those at the side of the road, on the margins, whom Jesus came for. And then we would learn to see ourselves as those with the spirit of Jesus, able to go into the margins on his behalf and let others know how wide and deep and high is his love. We pray in Christ's name, amen.